Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. We are back. You are listening to the Rotoviz Draft Series, brought to you by Bet Online. I am your host Kyle Dvorak. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Tweets. Here today, I am delighted to be joined again by Travis May. You can find him on Twitter at ff underscore Travis M. How's it going? Are you excited to get into the back half of the top ten of running backs, and then throw some other guys that we both personally like out there? Uh, and, and what do you think about the second half? Like, I feel very confident that. A lot of, if not all of the guys you mentioned in the top half are going to be instant producers. Even relative to like looking back at what I thought of other draft classes, this does feel like it has a very solid top four to five. Uh, I don't know how confident I feel in these next picks. How do you feel about the tier two, tier three, and so forth uh, at the running back position? There's definitely some value to be had in tier two this year just because of the raw athleticism, some fun size speed combos, some all-purpose talents that I think are going to stick on rosters and maybe sneak into the back end of day two. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a lot of intrigue you know, in round three uh, of uh, the NFL draft this year just because of how many players could sneak in. And just by default, because of how we rate these prospects, if they sneak into day two, they're automatically relevant uh, within so many more models uh, with with, uh, all the people nerding out and and trying to dig in and find uh, the next uh, solid second round rookie pick values. Yeah, so we had our top five. I'll recap those, DeAndre Swift. And I guess we were, uh, it's not necessarily our top five. We are going by uh, the Road of the Scouting Index, which just aggregates a handful of of traditional uh, like scout film watching sites and tells you uh, how they have them ranked on average. And although that might not be how we at Rotoviz or you as a listener choose to uh, choose to rank players, it does actually provide a very good proxy for draft capital and for what the public at large thinks of these players. And it also gives us a chance to say where we may differ, where we may find an edge in drafting in dynasty leagues. So our top five have been DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Cam Akers. Uh, that brings us to running back number six. Before we get there, I do want to remind you uh, that you can get your Rotoviz NFL Pass right now for 10% off. That gives you access to all of the tools you'll hear us talk about, uh, all of the awesome content we have coming up through the draft and into the summer. And then your subscription also gives you, uh, or it helps support us, the podcast that you're listening to. So be sure to get your 10% discount for that NFL Pass at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Running back number six, Zach Moss. Uh, Zach Moss, I think if you're like around Dynasty Twitter, most notably, uh, like very, very much a, I don't even want to say a, a film darling. He was just a good prospect. Kind of disappointed at the combine, especially relative to some of the awesome athletes we have here. Uh, do you think his disappointing combine is going to damage both his draft capital and how you view him as a prospect? I think slightly. I think uh, it was looking more and more like he was just an absolute lock for uh, day two value uh, in, in the real NFL draft. Uh, and, and, you know, he could creep up and be in the, you know, 60s, be a second round player. And, you know, then he, until they kind of fixed his time after the facts, it looked like he was going to be a four, seven guy. And really when you look at his, 
His athleticism and his, his profile is basically uh, maybe creeping into the top half of the bottom third of the athletic profiles when it comes to running backs. And so not exactly ideal. Reminds me a lot of, you know, Alexander Madison last year. Um, you know, a lot of people still liked him as, as the, the, the darling pick to maybe sneak into day two. And he did uh, just so happened to fall into a backup role. And I think that's what Zach Moss could could do. He could kind of back up a better back and maybe find relevance early in his career anyway. Uh, or even, you know, just from a while back, Kareem Hunt. You know, a lot of people weren't pumped about his athletic profile because, frankly, he, he profiled like a, an NFL backup. He had adequate size. He had an adequate uh, production profile that we like to check, 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 and check. But uh, Zach Moss, yeah, he did... Th- he did disappoint there, and to me, I always thought he was a, a very beginning of day three uh, type talent, um, despite his his impressive running and his his ferocious mindset and and just how he plays his style. Uh, but if he creeps in the back of day two, that will be interesting, and it seems like uh, somebody's probably going to reach just because of what he was able to do as as far as uh, forcing missed tackles goes uh, at, at uh, the collegiate level. But I'm not super excited about Moss. Yeah, I think I, this might be the first place that we talk about that we differ. I don't even want to say significantly because it's not like I'm putting him in my top. I'm not going crazy. But I do think there's probably just in the sense of I've, people almost always overreact to specifically like a 40 time. Even though like we've shown time and time again, 40 time is not the end all be all. A lot of uh, slowbacks end up making it or at least slower. He's not four four guys uh, just because one of the biggest things you can do is garner volume and that's something we've seen Zach Moss's ability to do at the collegiate level and that is uh, like that's what we're working on that's the data we have if he did it he did it at the collegiate level he at least has that potential he has three years of over a thousand rushing yards peaked at 1400 yards in his final uh in his final college season 17 rushing touchdowns and he was a productive receiver a a nine percent 68th percentile college target share 388 receiving yards like he checks all the boxes that don't involve being fast and uh generally i think you can even translate that he has a below average bench didn't uh didn't record uh his jumps or an agility score i i don't i think it's fair to assume he's probably not great in those aspects either no. but he's like you said he's not he's not like a a first percentile uh like spark score athlete he's not i, I don't even know who the running back comparison is but when i think of receivers i always think of if you remember the player deranya wilson <laughs> did you uh, it's so unfortunate. That is the, like, that is the, the kicker's name that is last name Blewett, like Mike Blewett or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Deronia Wilson is the wide receiver version of that. A position so much based on running and he runs like a 4-7. Uh, he's not, like, Zach Moss isn't the running back version of Deronia Wilson. And he had a great, like, uh, well above average college dominator. The Rotoviz uh, box score scout actually, I, I don't want to say likes Moss, but does have a lot of outs for him to be a productive NFL player if you give him, uh, like, basically early round three or mid round three draft capital you put him around like 75 80 as his draft capital he actually has a lot of competent comps he has Le'Veon bell in that range he has royce freeman which at least had the draft capital and had more importantly dynasty value uh he had james connor who became a like a first round running back or first round uh redraft pick like these are all guys who i think were not uh special as uh, as prospects, but they found paths to success in the NFL level. And if he's going to be taken as the sixth or seventh or later running back in this draft class, that's really where I think you can mine some value. Like he comps pretty well to David Montgomery, and I think that's like a, a very reasonable comp for him based on his production. 
you just don't have to spend the 101 to get Zach Moss, which yeah. is what I find to be important. Yeah, Not that it's all about the Zach price. Moss. All about yeah, the exactly. Not that Zach Moss is a special talent. It's that he's going to be cheap relative to guys who you had to pay a lot more for, like last year, most recently with David Montgomery. Yeah, and, and that was partly due to just last year's running back class. I mean, we knew that that class was going to be bad for three years, uh, and we were going to be reaching for guys that profiled like Montgomery. Not not that he was terrible. He just he, most years he's not like the guy that we're like, oh, he's a mid first, you know. So, um, but yeah, with, with Moss, it's just I, I would. There are other guys I like, and that's just how it's been. Um, and I think another understanding the full situation uh, surrounding uh, him and, and the program that he was at. Uh, a lot of people don't really think of it this way because you know he they didn't make the college football playoff, but he was surrounded in a in a perfect offensive situation where they 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 basically lost almost everybody. They lost I think eight offensive starters because they were all upperclassmen or good enough to go pro. See, he had a really solid. Uh, surrounding cast, just like Clyde edwards Flair did to kind of put together a strong final season. And so I think had not had it not been so perfect, uh, I, I don't think we would be touting him as highly. It just so happened that, you know, Utah's best season maybe for the next 50 years was his final season there. So just something to, to think about. I'm not going to be reaching for Moss, but I don't think you really have to, like you already said this year. Yeah, and uh, to be clear, I am like very much in the minority of the Rotoviz people. When you look at uh, like position rank based on all of Rotoviz's rankers, you can find the the Rotoviz rookie rankings. Uh, if you go to rotoviz.com, it's it's the top right. You can find a lot of sharp uh, fantasy players from like Sean Siegel to Dave Cabin, Blair Andrews, all of like the sharpest people at Rotoviz. No one really seems to like Zach Moss. I think I'm on the outside looking in here, and maybe that means I get him at a discount, or maybe that just means I'm drafting him with, like, like I don't want to say the derogatory film grinders, but maybe it's just me and the film grinders out there because he is the ninth-ranked running back below a handful of other players. Uh, surprisingly, not below our next player based on the scouting index, which is, like, the more traditional way of looking at things, LaMichael P. Ryan. Uh, tell me a little bit about LaMichael P. Ryan. Well, again, he he's somebody who really never showed that he could even hardly lead his own backfield for the most part. Uh, he never really impressed outside of his... I mean, I guess 20, 2018 was okay. Uh, he showed that he could be kind of uh, efficient there, but he was never asked to carry more than like 150 times in a season or so um, against top comp- competition, that is. And uh, he broke off one big play against Auburn this last uh, the last season, uh, that kind of buoyed his, his profile that was going to be absolutely horrifically bad uh, if it weren't for basically two straight, maybe three straight missed tackles in that game. I can't remember. But without that one play, he wouldn't have even reached 600 rushing yards on the season. And yes, he caught some passes, but he was incredibly inefficient on, on those passes for the most part, except for scoring some touchdowns uh, in, in some fun situations, I guess, uh, because... Dan Mullen's a great coach, and they had a good offense there in, in Florida, but his profile is pretty weak uh, in, in terms of how most people wrote of his look at the running backs. He he checks basically zero boxes, I guess, uh, and he's not fast. He's not super good at any one thing, and he's not agile, and there's just uh, – there's <laughs> there's not much to, to go off of with Piran. Yeah, I, I'm not going to – you know. If we don't think he's good, I am not going to be labor talking about him when there are more interesting players to talk about. And yeah, he is just like, like you made this visceral noise when trying to explain things about him. You're so, uh, uh, and that, yeah. that's how you should feel about him. <laughs> like he, he doesn't, he's, 
he is below average in terms of, of his speed score, his burst, his agility, everything except his bench press is below average. He doesn't like he doesn't win. His his athleticism doesn't really garner any sort of like uh, eye popping. He doesn't win in any of his athletic measurables. A forty first percentile college dominator. Okay, well maybe he was mega efficient. Actually, he was extremely inefficient. He was a four point six college yards per carry. Uh, like yeah, he has a good target show. That's the only thing you can really say about him is that his final season he caught forty passes on fifty five targets. Frankly, he didn't turn that into a lot of receiving yards. It's 262 receiving yards. Uh, I'm not going to belabor the point. The the box score scout doesn't like him. It, even if you give him round three draft capital, which feels generous in such a deep class, it looks it makes him look like Mike Davis, a guy named Johnny White, uh, John Kelly of, uh, I believe, was on the Rams for a bit, uh, Jamie Harper. I don't know if he's real or not. That doesn't seem real. Hey, he was uh, with the Titans for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you have to scroll pretty far down to find maybe he looks like Devonta Freeman. Uh, maybe he looks like like James White. And I, I, I would say even James White feels generous because guys like James White don't come around very often. I'd say he's like big theoretic. Yeah, oh, yeah that, that's fair. That's, that's something like and, that. <laughs> yeah, because theoretic was just a, he's a pass catcher with theoretic's athleticism in terms of pure it's metrics. It's awful. It's real bad. <laughs> and, I mean, but that's, you know, good for him being so technically skilled that uh can overcome that. But few players actually end up overcoming that is the thing. Like that's sort of almost a ceiling is big theoretic. Yeah. So moving on from big theoretic, Darrington <laughs> Evans. Darrington Evans is a very, uh, very curious prospect. He's, uh, I, I think he's a player that the analytics or the, the more stats-minded people love. I don't know if I feel 100% on board with that, but there is a lot to like on his profile. Uh, like what do you see about Evans coming out of App State that you like? Well, I mean, an, another perfect perfect storm situation. He he was in a great spot to to do really well. They had a, a really good quarterback by App State standards. They had a pretty soft schedule out, outside of like two games this past year. He he had a lot of fun dominating some pretty average teams and did so for two seasons at App State. And so there's the context of the, the level of competition he was playing against. But he did absolutely annihilate uh, when uh, he was asked to do so. And in fact, spanning from the end of 2018 to early 2019 seasons, he actually had 11 games in a row uh, with at least 120 all-purpose yards uh, just kept on dominating and dominating and dominating and capped it off with, I think it was 234 rushing yards and like 64 return yards and in one game against Charlotte, who actually turned out to be a decent uh, team this year. At the time, everyone thought, everyone thought oh, it's just Charlotte, but uh, they've got a new head coach. It turned out to be a pretty decent team this year. So he, he really did uh, dominate the level of competition he was asked to play against uh, and really kind of rounded out his receiving profile, somebody who didn't have a lot of receptions prior to this, his final season, just like Jonathan Taylor didn't, uh, and really only had 20-something catches still, did score five times, but he, he's kind of a do-it-all kind of back that I feel like, uh, you know, he could sne- if he does sneak into the back end of day two, he's going to be skyrocketing, but he's already, he's definitely a value where he's going right now in rookie drafts and in mock drafts and such. But I think more people are coming around and realizing, holy cow, this guy does literally everything. Yeah, I mean, you are not kidding when you say he does everything. As a kick returner, he was like, he was a special talented kick returner, even in his first, even in his age 18 season. Yeah, he wasn't used almost at all as a rusher, only put up 217 yards. Uh, he was a prolific kick returner, and that persisted through his uh, whole collegiate career. Was uh, like 25 returns for 563 yards. He scored a touchdown in every single season he played. Uh, and despite the fact that I believe he did suffer uh, ACL type of injury, it was like a season-ending injury before the season even 
get started. Uh, he doesn't come out as a particularly old prospect. Twenty-one. Uh, he'll be twenty-two when the season starts. That's not massively old. It's it's certainly not like a, a large knock on his profile. Uh, and he comps to, uh, despite the fact that I don't think his draft capital is going to be anything special, just because there's such a deep class. He does comp to like a handful of successful players before you give him any draft capital. He looks like uh, like a handful of decent players. Right now I have him uh, going, I believe this would be like in the fourth round, so pick 125. That's right around the fourth round, I believe. Uh, guys that come up on his profile are Jamal Charles, Devonta Freeman, Lamar Miller. Like he has, and I think he has a role in the NFL, and I especially think the one interesting thing, I don't care if he returns kicks or not in the NFL for fantasy, but that is very possibly an outlet for him to hang on to a team and to make a roll right away. I remember, I believe David Johnson's first NFL touch was a kick return touchdown. And it was just, you could you could feel it. The, his prospect profile was amazing. And you saw that spark right away. And even if that didn't necessarily like translate to fantasy points, that guaranteed him some sort of value on an NFL team. And for a guy coming out of a small school like App State, who's not going to have massive draft capital like Day three would be the or day two would be the dream, like a third round pick. I think it's more likely he looks like the, a fourth, fifth round pick. Just having enough value to consistently get uh, get on the field in some facet, get reps in practice, is what you want to see out of a guy like that who just has utility on an actual NFL sense. So I think he is uh, probably he has at least I don't know if he has to be for me he is the the best small school prospect non probably non power five prospect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, like there's, there's a bunch of, bunch of, you really, even if you give him looking at the road of his box score scout, even if you give him later one, you know, pick one ten, pick one twenty, that, that still doesn't get rid of comps like Jamal Charles or Devante Freeman, or even like worst case, you know, like Shane Vereen, you know, there, there are players that he profiles like that, that are, you know, not too bad uh, at all. So uh, his profile is a lot stronger then uh, I think it looks at first glance, um, uh, especially when you add in just him being a phenomenal returner. Uh, but I- I'm excited to see where he lands. I-, I hope he gets, you know, like last pick in the third round just to just to make things really interesting uh, come draft day. Yeah, so you can slap that day two label on him. I know, like, like I mean, empirically, the difference between uh, not accounting for comp picks was I mean, like 96 and like 101, like is five picks. But I do think, uh, and I think I even heard uh, like uh, Josh of Roto World talk about this, like teams do anticipate that they want to get, like they want guys on that, uh, like that day three or even like or day two or even like the first pick or the first two picks of day three. Like they've had this extra time to say, I want to get that specific player. It sort of gives them a foresight. So just getting like sneaking into day two the very first two picks of, of day three i would be excited for him also i don't know if we mentioned this he's a mega athlete a 4 140 uh like a speed score in the 86 percentile burst score in the 82nd he doesn't have like a three cone so he doesn't have an agility but like based on his production and then his dynamic ability as a returner like he is he is uh, an incredible athlete as well so a lot to be excited about with darrington evans and very clearly if you're if you're looking to nab uh, some value with a small school prospect. I like Darrington Evans as that player out of everybody. The next player on the uh, rookie scouting index, Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm as we talk about Darrington Evans. I kind of feel like I'm coming down when we talk about Keyshawn Vaughn. Are you? Is he a guy you're interested in? I I love what he does uh, from a, a film standpoint. I think just from an analytics standpoint, when you look at how old he's going to be as a rookie, he's he's going to be a one of the oldest rookies. Uh, this year for sure in this class 
Um, I mean, he he entered college way back in uh, 2015 at Illinois. I uh, did kind of break out for them. I uh, ended up d- deciding to come back to his hometown uh, near where he actually went to high school and play for Vanderbilt. Uh, and I, I actually got to see him play quite a bit. I am a Vanderbilt season ticket holder because my, my wife actually works there. So uh, we get cheap tickets on the 50 all year long. But uh, he really does just come out and, and play out well, even against the toughest competition in the country. I think had um, 100 and I think it was, I don't know, it was 150 yards from scrimmage or so uh, against LSU and uh, a really tough game this year. The, you know, the national champions, LSU, uh, he, he can just do a lot of good things. Um, he, he does have an injury history. He doesn't have a, a perfect production profile. Uh, he wasn't uh, incredibly efficient this this final year, but that was mainly because they were basically working with like four different quarterbacks throughout the season. But he was really impressive from an, an efficiency standpoint uh, in 2018, his first year with Vanderbilt. So uh, I think that there are some there are some great things that he does, um, but uh, there's certainly some some questions. Uh, as well, but I, I do like that he ran like around a four or five. I think uh, some people had concerns with his top end speed. I think he answered that. Uh, so if he again, really one of those fringe players that is probably good enough from a film standpoint to get into to, to, to day two, but uh, there's still definitely some questions, holes in his profile for sure. Yeah, for me, uh, like the class is deep enough that those holes probably outweigh where you're going to have to select him. Especially like you look at the like he just he wasn't uh, like. He wasn't um, uh, like immaculately special, and that kind of shows up in the the box score scout. Even if you give him like round four draft capital, which I do think after you probably see at least five to six running backs go before him, that's probably where you end up putting the seventh or eighth running back is is at best yeah. round four. Like he comps well to Evan Royster, Kenneth Dixon. Kenneth Dixon, I will maintain, was a good prospect, but uh, like <laughs> Cyrus Gray, James Andre Brown, Mike Davis. Just nothing special. These guys all, like, bounced around NFL teams. It wasn't like they were flushed yeah. out of the league immediately. But that does feel more of uh, of what he's going to do. Is just He doesn't seem to have, like, one uh, we know empirically across, like, most, if not all, positions. Uh, late declares. He, he'll be a senior declare who also missed a season, so he'll be a sort of fifth-year declare. Super senior. Yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, that is a very bad omen across all positions one of like the truisms of uh just prospecting in general is that declaring yeah. late and declaring the super senior and, is, is and not it great. stinks like because for all the all three playmakers for vander uh vanderbilt just chose to come back They're like oh let's play one more year together it's gonna be great we're gonna make a bowl game again and it was awful for all of their stocks like like pinkney Lipscomb and Vaughn just their final season killed their stock like they all would have been better off just coming out coming out last year and I just really hate to hate to see it because Vaughn was good enough last year he had a better better season in 2018 uh, so I think he and especially in a weak class he definitely would have gotten day two capital last year so just one of those situations where it really stinks that it worked out the way it did. Yeah, like you look at uh, like I was looking at his college yards per carry versus his dominator that like seesaw that I talked about I like, probably in the previous episode where if you dominate a ton it's okay that you're not quite as efficient that is generally how volume works is that you have a lot of it and you can't quite maintain like as a receiver Deshaun Jackson levels of efficiency I'm sure if he got 150 targets he wouldn't be 
the exact same player. Uh, Vaughn's 5.2 college yards per carry, pretty low. His college dominator, very high, 90th percentile. But when you look back to that 2018 season, as you talked about, 7.9 yards per carry. That is nutty good. That is incredible. Uh, so we know he can be efficient. We know he can handle a lot of work. Can he do both at the same time? I'm not sure, but it seems at least very much within his range of outcomes. Uh, it's just a deep class and a 20 at the time he takes the field for the first time. A 23-year-old rookie uh, coming off of five years in college is not uh, not necessarily what I'm looking for. Doesn't have a ton of great comps, but like there are definitely redeeming factors to him. And he's a guy who I could at least see having a, a relevant role in the NFL. Just not sure if that's what I'm looking for. Especially, he's a guy who... If the draft capital dictates that a team thinks he can handle a decent workload in his first few years or they see some value in him, yeah, I'll probably get on board with him. But if he ends up going rounds like five, six, seven, I think he's a guy that it's pretty easy to cross off. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I think this, we're on the same page. <laughs> this will be our last uh, our last of the top ten of the scouting index. This, I mean, this is probably – Actually, there's, there's one more that I at least, like, we need to extend this to an 11. This and 11 will probably round out guys, I think, have any realistic shot of making it into the third round. And even, like I said, I don't think I don't think P. Ryan Evans or Vaughn have a good chance, uh, if at all, of getting into the third round. But it's possible. I can see it happening. Number 10, Eno Benjamin. Tell me a little about Eno Benjamin. He's a guy who, uh, I'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, Sean Siegel actually has an article about him. And Siegel really seems to like him, at least uh, like a player he comps to especially uh like he's a good arbitrage play so tell me a little bit about him then i'll dive into that quickly yeah i, I won't i won't take that away from you i think i know where you're going uh with <laughs> with that but uh with you know i think way, way back into into his high school days he was a really highly touted recruit four-star back was supposed to come in and, and do great things and actually hurt himself and I, I think it was the army all-american game uh while he was still in high school which actually caused him to miss a lot of key time uh you know prepping for the season and any chance that he had of uh, getting onto the field early and being healthy and looking like himself was just gone. And at the time they had, you know, Kalen Balage and Demary Richard, uh, they were both healthy and both okay college backs. And so they didn't need to rush him onto the field. So his, his freshman year was, eh, let's call it a mulligan. But I mean, if, had he been healthy, he could have put together one of the best production profiles in this class because uh, yes, the 2019 season, the, the, the Sun Devils had a horrible offensive line issues, like just just really, really bad stuff. But the 2017-2018, he could have had two back-to-back like 1,600-yard seasons, which would have been incredible. And so uh, he, he, he showed he could take the volume, especially in 2018 where he had 300 carries. Uh, and he answered any questions about his receiving profile, having two seasons in a row with at least 30 catches or 34, 35 catches in both seasons. Uh, so really from a production standpoint, he really, really looks good on paper. So uh, he looks like he's got the pedigree. The only concern I guess would probably be his size uh, and really his athleticism doesn't look like it's super high percentile. Yeah, I think uh, so. I guess I'll, I'll dive into that Sean Siegel piece. I'll let I'll leave something to the imagination because I do want you to read this, but uh, I'd be remiss to not at least talk about it. One because I love the idea that uh, based on his production profile, like like he based on his size, he looks he's he's five nine two. He's like two inches taller than Clyde Edwards Hilaire. They're not that much different athletically. Uh, Edwards Hilaire marginally marginally better in the vert and broad jump. Uh, Benjamin takes him in the forty. Oh, they physically look similar, but the production profile in Eno Benjamin is is so 
otherworldly better that he is like the perfect arbitrage opportunity for like guys who look the same but Edwards Hilaire is probably going to end up having the draft capital and will certainly have the, the ADP in rookie drafts Benjamin is simply just a better prospect like he is based on what we know about how production carries over from college to the NFL uh like that that 300 300 rush attempts uh Sean Compson to Aaron Jones and that 300 rush attempts makes me think that he could be what we always wanted Aaron Jones to be, because Jones has always been plagued by being mega efficient, never actually knocking out his second 1B running back. The volume we've seen from Eno Benjamin, uh, he has the, the chance to be that mold breaker in terms of his size relative to his amount of carries. And also at uh, 5'9", 207, he at least has an above average uh, BMI, so it's not like he is not... Um, he is not like he... I don't think at least he can... Uh, just will immediately break down to the rigors of the NFL. And he's also young. He's at, at time of recording, he's 21. He'll be obviously 21 when the season starts, assuming it starts. And uh, yeah, I think there's so much to like about him relative to, I'm talking about him as the scouts like him as the 10th running back. That just seems unfair to the insane production profile. And he's not a bad athlete. He has an above average 40 when you adjust it for his size. It's barely below average. His burst and agility, both well above average. Uh, yeah, he has some stuff on his athletic profile that's not as good, some stuff that is very promising. I like this player profiler comp. I think Duke Johnson makes sense, especially because of this 92nd percentile college target share. Uh, Aaron Jones is is a very attainable ceiling, not just this mythical ceiling, but it does feel attainable. The last guy I want to talk about, and I don't even want to talk about him, but I feel like we have to, A.J. Dillon, blue, like his, his size, speed, Derrick Henry, light type of comps. But, like, is that something that you see when you watch him, that he can transcend what we know about the running back position? Or uh, is he just, like, uh, just another David Wilson or whomever? Uh, absolutely, he can he can come in and be like that uh, kind of Derrick Henry. Obviously, he wasn't asked to um, be that guy, you know— uh, to the to the same crazy extent, like Derrick Henry's final season was almost like 400 carries or something. But <laughs> Dylan, he was asked to still grind out about 300 carries in two seasons. Didn't have a, a receiving profile to speak of uh, much in, at all. I mean, his you know most players that we we say have a good you know production profile, they're having at least 20, 30, 40 catches in a season. He had 21 total catches against Power Five teams in college. And that's not exactly what you want to see. Uh, but Henry has not been the receiver that we want him to be either. Uh, I think from a size speed standpoint, Dylan can absolutely be that. He doesn't probably have the same uh, contact balance that Derrick Henry has, has shown uh, to possess for his entire career. Uh, he doesn't have the same pedigree as uh, Henry did. He didn't play for Alabama. But I think he's still worthy of a day two selection just because of the tantalizing strength and speed and size combo that AJ Dillon does offer. Yeah. So the, the big hangup for me, which is the big hangup for uh, a lot of people who are just looking at his numbers or is that target share. It's uh, you know, just the overall receiving production. Anyway, you slice it 13 final season receptions, uh, 5.9 33rd percentile target share. And that uh, like he, he does profile like a guy's probably not going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of receiving work out of the backfield like we see with a Derrick Henry. And I like I just think as a whole, those guys are guys I am willing to fade. And if they turn out to be Derrick Henry, uh, so be it. But when you look at his uh, comps before putting in any draft capital, he looks like a Donta Foreman, a Brian Hill, 
Samaje P. Ryan and Benny Snell round as top four. Sean Green uh, is the next one. And I think, uh, like, one, Devonta, uh, Donta Foreman was, in some aspects, a very, very good prospect. I like I don't think that's a bad comp. He got hurt and didn't get the chance ever. But then beyond that, it's guys who just don't have, uh, like, never end up making waves in the NFL. If we see the draft capital to, I don't know, I just think his, his receiving game is always going to have me lower than market, even if I think, I mean, my God, he is an incredible athlete. Six foot 247. Huge. He should be, uh, like, he should be playing tight end, but he runs a four, five, three. Uh, like that gives him a 97th percentile speed score, and he has great burst too, uh, much like Derrick Henry. We don't have an agility score on him, and that was the one place where Derrick Henry faltered. And then the overall, the carries, like I, I lend no credence to the idea that you don't want a guy who's racked up touches in at the college level. That's what how, that's how we know he can do it at the NFL level. Uh, when you see guys come in, he'll come in with uh, like close to a thousand touches. Uh, that's how we know he can take those hits and keep on ticking at the NFL level. So the the target share is probably enough to keep me below market, but I do think uh, there's a lot to like about him as a prospect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tons to like when it comes to A.J. Dillon, except for his receiving profile, which is uh, and can be a problem. So that, that rounds out, I guess, technically a top 11, because I feel like now we're talking about guys who almost have no shot at making, uh, like, round round three draft capital and at this point not all the guys we talked about obviously will reach there so anytime like if a darrington evans falls to the fourth fifth sixth round he's a guy who i'm buying low on at that caught like at what that will do to his dynasty adp at all times uh, before we get into uh like our closing thoughts and some guys that we think even though the scouts might not like them that we are still interested in i do want to give you a minute to hear from our sponsors and then we will be right back with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be dead wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas straight to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. We are back. We have, uh, I guess, just kick off who are some guys that we haven't talked about or give me a guy we haven't talked about that you still think uh, has a chance to make waves in the NFL, even if it's not in his first year, that if he hangs around with the team that takes him, he's a guy who'd be interested in stashing on those taxi squads or at the, the end of deeper dynasty teams. That's absolutely, first and foremost, Antonio Gibson uh, from Memphis. Uh, I know he worked out with the wide receivers, and uh, some people still want him to be a wide receiver uh, in the NFL, but if you look at his profile, he he looks like uh, for a size speed freak at the running back position. I mean, he's six foot, 228 pounds and runs a four, three, nine, uh, had a crazy, crazy final season at Memphis, really strange career where he didn't really see the field much at all until this final season, but he had almost 1800 all purpose yards this final year, uh, for Memphis. Uh, and he did that, uh, basically averaging almost 20 yards per reception and over 10 yards per carry which is just mind-blowing uh, efficiency. Obviously, he wasn't asked to do that 
in, in a huge sample. But uh, Memphis had to mix mix things up because this was supposed to be Patrick Taylor Jr.'s year, and he was supposed to have this 2,000-yard season. He had been second fiddle to Daryl Henderson, but he got injured right away. And then Kenny Gainwell, out of nowhere, comes out and has like a 2,000-yard season. But alongside him, Antonio Gibson has... 33 rush attempts for almost 400 yards, 33 catch, 38 catches for over 700 yards, and then at the same time blows it up in the return game. A 23 returns for 645 yards overall. Again, almost 1,800 yards all purpose. Uh, just a just a freak that that makes plays, makes people miss, gets behind people, stacks people like he's a wide receiver, but then also you know crushes people with with strength and surprising agility at his size. Uh, so he's not going to wow from a uh, balanced production profile standpoint. But man, man, he, he's just a playmaker. And I think somebody could take a chance and go after him day two. Uh, this is, I mean, like I, I want to say, because I am about to like ooze over the potential you get with him. What do you make of like a very like blatantly, He's he was playing receiver in college. He was listed as a receiver. I believe he was... Um, was he a like JUCO transfer? Because I believe in high school he played the similar like the similar role where he was just this positionless weapon. I don't know if you want to call him receiver or running back. He's always sort of played this role. Um, what do you make of guys who don't have a role? But man, like this dude can just straight out ball. Yeah, it, it's it's really weird. It's one of those. If he does succeed, it's going to be one of those situations where you just had to understand the context of of why he kind of took so long to break out and do anything. Uh, you know, he he did. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, he played for some community community college, I think, for a couple of years, and he actually was kind of uh, smaller. Uh, and it was just kind of an athletic weapon. Uh, Mike Norvell decided to bring him on. Uh, Mike Norvell and is now he was the coach at Memphis. Now he's actually this this year will be his first year at Florida State. But he just loves those playmakers and loves getting those playmakers the touches. Uh, and he loves really just forcing it in, in, in really defenses into situations where they are going to get beat by an athlete, which is what made Daryl Henderson so much fun. Uh, which is what made really Patrick Taylor pre-injury so much fun. It's what made Kenneth Gainwell so much fun last year undersized back but incredibly athletic and had 50 catches at the receiver at, at the running back position uh, I mean it was just a fun offense uh, but uh, he will be an outlier if he does hit because as, as I just recently outlined on unroad of his transfer backs and juco backs there's not much of a history that we have to go off of of these players actually working out in fact since 2010 we've only seen four running backs uh, that were transfers, either Juco or transfers, just more kind of t- stereotypical transfers pan out at all. And in fact, only, only two of them, uh, they, I guess four of them saw a day. Yeah. Four of them saw like day two capital and really only Alvin Kamara and Charles Sims did much of anything. Um, and so if he does hit, it'll be crazy. He's got a crazy story, came out of nowhere, but there's there's reasons why he didn't see the field before he did. If he had been given the opportunity, I think he could have been a feature back or a, a 1,500-yard wide receiver. He's that freaking talented. Yeah, so there's one uh, one nugget of truth you really, uh, like you you talked about, I want to double down on. Like, like He played in a fun offense, and part of that was because he is a fun player, and that is what I like and I think his best and I don't want to say only but it feels like it drastically changes how I feel about him I want him to get to a fun offense in the NFL 
Uh, for me, I one, I think it makes sense in a lot of ways for a team like the Chiefs to get him. Just mm, let the Chiefs get, not only because we've seen how much of an affinity they have for dudes who can just make plays no matter what part of the field is, no matter in what way, between Tyreek Hill and McCall Hardman, who are both guys who like, kind of, funny enough, have a, a similar profile in that they both produced uh, in a myriad of ways at the collegiate level. Uh, Darwin Thompson was noted for being like an all-purpose, or at least could do a lot of things in a lot of different ways. Didn't really pan out, but that seems to be their archetype. Guys who can just make plays. And when you have Patrick Mahomes, you just want these fast, athletic guys where your offense can damage the opposing defense in any single facet. And it would make so much sense, not only because, like, just the style of player he is, but they also, like, we saw Darwin Thompson very clearly not pan out last year. They're very reluctant to get him involved at all, even when they were desperate at running back. And Damian Williams, I believe, is only on, like, one more— he got picked up by, like, a team option. He's only one more year. And he's, like, a a UDFA who was uh, not productive for five years and now comes in, uh, I believe, he's like, already 30— it would make sense for them to want someone to back him up, even if he is productive for the next year, the next few years. And he's a guy who they could work onto the field in a number of ways. I would love for him to go to a team like Kansas City. I'll throw out one more name. Uh, I mean, I guess you want any player to go to Kansas City, but I do think he actually, in a lot of ways, makes sense as a fit for them. I'll throw out one more player, and I just want to pick your brain on this guy, Joshua Kelly. Only two years of production at UCLA, but over a thousand yards both times. He's got a 77% out dominator. He ran faster than a 4.5. It was a 4.49. He's got like he's got workhorse back size at 5.11, uh, 212 pounds. And in his his first season for UCLA, 27 receptions. He has a 69 percentile college target share. Uh, like I, I see a lot to like about him, and yet he is well outside of that top 10 I was talking about. Yeah, Josh, Joshua Kelly is a fun back, and he's one of those guys, again, he was a, kind of a transfer, uh, played for UC Davis, uh, not exactly a football powerhouse uh, for a couple seasons, and then uh, worked his way on, on, the, on the field for UCLA and really showed up and just said, hey, I know I'm a, just a Juco kid, but I'm better than all of you. And he was immediately uh, impressed in a big way. Uh, I did like him, especially in my in my college fantasy uh, football leagues and really in DFS, he was, I, I found him being underpriced as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he's kind of a long shot. He's probably going to be a fifth round ish kind of pick. Um, but, uh, he's definitely somebody who could stick around and be on NFL rosters for a long time and be that kind of handcuffed to somebody that might uh, have better pedigree, but, uh, definitely an intriguing player that I've been, been, uh, pumped about for a long time. Okay, before we get out of here, I do just want to, um, for the hashtag content, if you have a top five, uh, I'd like to know your top five. I have uh, five players in mind, and somebody you are more than willing to fade at what we can reasonably assume after the draft will be their, uh, will be their dynasty rookie ADP. So top five, and then somebody you're not as interested in. Okay, so my top five, I think, uh, I mean, right right now it's got to be uh, top five running backs, um, Jonathan Taylor and then DeAndre Swift. Uh, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and then after that, it's really it's really up in the air uh, when it when it comes to uh, just uh, draft capital uh, being involved. But I think right now, I think my my fifth is actually um, not Clyde Edwards Hilaire. It's A.J. Dillon. I think he's going to be that guy that gets the day two capital and gets the opportunity and has at least two seasons where he just is rolling over people. Uh, with the strength and speed, and has has a nice sell high window, and uh, that's the kind of player that I'm I'm one to target. You know, uh, at the the one two turn, uh, oftentimes uh, a player that I can probably turn and burn after a year or two, 
Uh, I, I target running backs more than I do wide receivers, so that's kind of a player that I think could have instant impact, uh, almost regardless of of where he goes because of his power back and possibly you know touchdown heavy nature could just immediately uh, ascend in value. Uh, and then another player, uh, the player that I'm I'm going to fade uh, versus everyone, I think it probably has to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, just because um, a lot of people are even putting him up in the you know running back three conversation, things like that. I just I'm probably not going to have him anywhere, uh, and, and I'd probably rather have a bunch of uh, kind of safe-ish wide receiver options over him. Um, and so I'm okay missing on a player like that. Yeah, for me, it's it's very similar. Taylor won, I think, just running the gambit of Rotoviz guys, ranking him number one. Uh, I'll take Swift number two. I think that does bake in a decent amount of, I feel, the NFL is going to give him that draft capital. Dobbins three, uh, Cam Akers four, and I believe we have the same top four in a slightly different order. I will put Eno Benjamin at five. Maybe it's those those uh, rose-tinted glasses seeing that the, the, the Aaron Jones comp, but he does have that in his range of outcomes and it feels very easily within his range of outcomes where aj Dillon, i don't feel comfortable like of course uh derrick henry is in his range of outcomes because he looks so similar but that just seems like such the 99th percentile outcome uh, like in a way being hyperbolic but like the 99th percentile outcome relative to aaron jones being you know benjamin's 75th percentile outcome but i'd still be much more inclined to not fade A.J. Dillon if i'm choosing a number one player to fade and i will join you with clyde edwards hilaire there just uh don't think he is nearly as likely even as a player like you know benjamin or cam Akers, to find the the type of fantasy relevant role we want so that will do it for myself at kyle tweets here for travis may at ff underscore travis m uh we will have a breakdown for or a two-part breakdown for every fantasy position here at rotavis so make sure you subscribe uh you, you like subscribe do what all the kids are doing these days Shoutouts to our sponsors, Bet Online. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Draft Series. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on your favorite podcast app, or contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 10% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash.